This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others, and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hey friends, just a note on today's episode, I did have some audio issues, so please bear with me through some of those. I apologize for it, um, but just know that I think you're going to enjoy this conversation and it's worth sticking with it. Thanks. Hey guys, welcome back to the Worth Your Time podcast. I'm your host, Erica, and I thank you for joining me again today. Hey guys, really quickly, if you've been listening to the podcast and you've been enjoying it, would you do me a huge favor and head over to iTunes and give me a rating and review? I'm going to read to you one that I found from someone I actually don't know, and it says this, so happy I found this new podcast. I've picked up some really great new books based off recommendations from her guests and look forward to the thoughtful discussions that are great for women from all walks of life every week. So thank you, MOC22182. All right, guys. So today's guest is a friend of mine since seventh grade, Lynn Downey. She's actually an actress in Los Angeles. That's right, Hollywood. And she's been working for 14 years, believe it or not. I loved talking with Lynn about living out her life dream, the spiritual journey she's gone on since high school. We also talked about Lynn's favorite movies, her favorite actors, which I found very interesting coming from someone who's in the business. And she really gave us a picture of what it's like to be a working actor in Hollywood. It's not easy, you guys, but I'm truly inspired by her vision, her ambition, and her dedication to what she feels like is her life's calling. So enjoy this conversation with actress Lynn Downey. Well, hey, everyone. I'm talking with my friend Lynn Downey today. And Lynn, thank you so much for taking time all the way from California to talk with me today. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad to get to do this. It's so sweet to get to talk to you and to have it recorded. <laughs> yes, Lynn and I have, we were became friends, what, seventh grade, I think? I think so, when we went to junior high together. Yeah, yeah. we went to junior high together. We have a picture together at the eighth grade dance. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. I'll dig it up and <laughs> see if we can <laughs> post so it in the show cool notes. plaid skirts with tights, like so much plaid. <laughs> yeah, and the funny thing is... Uh, you you don't seem like you've changed that much. I mean, in a good way. Like same kind of personality. I, I don't think we've talked for years, but it, you know, I was watching some of your clips on your website and on Facebook and stuff. And I'm like, she's the same old Lynn. <laughs> I do I feel like I feel like I am the same person? I feel like I had an awakening and an awareness around eighth grade where I was like, oh, I'm just going to be me. And it lasted for a while, and then I moved to Los Angeles, and it got, sh- you know, shaken, and <laughs> it got like, whoa, wait, wait, now who do I need to be? And now I feel like I'm coming back into this sense of like, uh-huh, yep, just need well, to be me. <laughs> yeah, you, but you, yeah, I, I love that you say, you know, I just need to be me. Yeah, you really do have, like, uniquely your own personality, and I see that even playing out in some of the things I was watching and some of your acting stuff that you've been doing, but let's back up. Give yeah. us, Give us your... Give us your family background, um, where you stats. came from, your stats, all the good stuff, and then and then tell us how you got from you know good old Bloomington, Indiana, all the way out to Hollywood. Great. Um, so I have. I don't know if you know Strength Finders Assessment. Yes, I do. So I have context as one of my top strengths. So I'm going to try and do this concisely. Otherwise, we're going to be here for two hours. I get um, it. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I'm from Bloomington, Indiana. I grew up in a family with mom, dad, and brother, and um, we uh, got along pretty good. You know, we have our stuff, and that's something that I've been kind of unpacking in these last years of, like, how does family of origin stuff, you know, balance mm-hmm. out with who am I now, et cetera. But um, I grew up in Bloomington, and I really loved growing up there. I thought it was, like, plenty to do and a, a beautifully cultured city in the midst of a, of a state that isn't necessarily known for culture. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, in, I, you know, I always did a little bit of acting stuff. One of my best friends was an actor as a child. And I remember watching her and I was in a play with her and she had all the lines and I knew them by heart. Of course, I didn't have any of the lines, but um, um, yeah, I went to high school there. And in high school, I um, started doing theater and it's like in the in the theater program. And I did West Side Story and I could not get the 
songs out of my head the entire (laughs) six weeks or eight weeks that we were rehearsing. And almost to this point of like, I'm a little scared that I can't get this out of my head. Like what's happening to me? But you loved Um, it so much. You knew it then. Yes, I loved it so much. And my senior year, we had a new um, teacher come in. The the first three years was an amazing English teacher who directed the shows. And my senior year, we had someone come in who had actually been an actress specifically. And she directed us in The Crucible. And I played Elizabeth Proctor and she approached the process the way that an actor would approach it. And it like exploded my brain. And I was like, I could do this show for the rest of my life and every night would be different because there's just so much richness. And it was that year when I was applying for colleges and I thought I was going to be a history teacher. Um, and then I came home one day and said to my mom, like, mom, did you know that you can be an actor in <laughs> college? And she was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, can I do that? And I wasn't even asking permission. I was just sort of saying like, what? And she's like, okay. And so I was late applying to acting school because a lot of people know what they want to do earlier, but I applied to Ball State and, um, I think I sent in an audition video, which is probably one of the most embarrassing things in my life. It was horrifying. Um, (laughs) and I, I got on the wait list for the acting program and then I got in during the summer and I ended up going there for four years And I think they were four of some of the best years of my life. I call it four years of camp with papers. Um, Oh, that's awesome. That's a great college experience. It really was a special, special time. And our class specifically, we're the class of 2000 and then 2004. um, There was something really special about the incoming freshmen that year. Like we sort of shook up. The upperclassmen were all scared because we were all getting roles the first year. And they're like, what's going on with this class? But the other thing that was so special about us is that there was really a community of support, even in the midst of a relatively competitive program, Mm -hmm. or I should say field, you know, I've talked to a lot of people who've been to other colleges and like people who went to NYU or something. And it was like competition out the gate. And there's a positive and negative. Like, I think I needed that support to know that I could do this and keep going in it. But at the same time, I didn't kind of get those muscles to understand how challenging it can be. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I really, I've gone back and forth about my college experience. Honestly, like I loved it. And I, of course, you know, just made some of the best friends in my life. And I feel like I, I was really blessed. I got to do like 10 shows in four years where I feel like I was learning, um, hands on, you know, and that wasn't true for some of my, some of my friends and classmates. Um, but I got very lucky and I got very blessed to get to do this. But I also learned that like, if you get lucky early on, it just is an opportunity for people to see you early on and then they want to work with you and then it helps. And then as I kind of got to the end of my college career, I thought I was going to move to Chicago. I went there in the winter. It was freaking freezing. And I was like, I'm going to be 500 pounds. I am never going to leave my apartment. Like I knew I, I, I didn't want to move to New York. I thought New York has a lot of energy and I have a lot of energy. And for whatever reason, it just didn't feel right. And I had done, um, an on-camera class my senior year. And I, there was something about seeing myself on camera while I was sitting down and watching it that it like logged in my brain. Like it was like, Oh, that I did that. Mm -hmm. And that sense of recognition and that sense of even just personal recognition, like, Oh, there I am. That's what I'm doing. Like there was something really fulfilling about that. It just felt like that's what you were meant to be doing. Well, it was more like, I mean, I've, I've gone back and forth and we'll probably go into kind of spiritual journeys as well, but I I went back and forth early on about acting and and being like, um, a Christian, especially at the time and being like, is this the right thing to do? Is this the wrong thing to do? And, And I have now kind of learned that I grew up in more of a fundamentalist background and there was, uh, not a support for me being an actor. Um, it was like, Ooh, I don't know if you want to get into that field. And so I even went into college being like, back and forth, like, okay, God, I'm going to do this for four more years. And if you want me to be a missionary after that, you know, and my senior year, I I found there was, um, Hollywood prayer network. Um, basically was this ministry that was like, we believe the Hollywood is, you know, just as much a quote unquote mission field Mm -hmm. as anywhere else. And like, we, we think you're called to here. If you feel called here, you're called here. And I like wept because I was like, oh my gosh, like I want to do this, but I think God wants me to do this kind of too. Um, and so for me seeing myself on camera was like, there was like, Oh, I, I accomplished that. Like I had, I had something tangible to hold on to, um, plays, they are alive. So you do them, they live and then they die. And maybe you have a picture. Yeah. And so there was something about that that made me go, Oh, 
I think that might be the medium that I want to focus on. Um, and even then I sense that there were, there were people who felt like, like it isn't this, you know, bad place where bad things happen. It's like, no, this is a place where people love what they do. They tell stories. Did you have a big dream of being quote famous or what was your kind of game plan when you decided to go? Well, you know, I think I thought it would be a lot easier than it, than it was. Um, I didn't, I've never had the desire to be famous for fame's sake. But one of the things I have learned is just the way that this industry works is like, if you want to be working consistently, you do need to be known. And, right. and so that's shifted for me over the years of like, yeah, cool. Then let's just get famous so that I can just work and do this. Um, you, you know, it, it, it's this balance. It's like, again, this sense of recognition. And I feel for myself that I do want to be recognized for my work and for who I am and what I bring, but I have to do that recognizing first. Otherwise, nobody else's recognition is going to land in my soul. Um, and also, then it doesn't matter if they don't, because I like I see me. I got you. You know, it's that sense of creating. For me, I think I'm creating a relationship with myself where I'm I'm taking care of the artist part of me. I'm taking care of me. So you know, I do hope to be known. So, you know, I want to be really well known within my industry as somebody who does a great job and brings great work to the table. Um, and there's just a ton of people trying to do some version of that. And we all have things that are like our cards to play, you know, so maybe somebody's gorgeous or maybe somebody has connections or maybe somebody's really talented or, um, and you just have to kind of learn how to play your own cards. And so when I moved here, I called it blender brain. Like my first year, I felt like somebody was like, hi, welcome to Los Angeles. I'll take your brain. I'm just going to go ahead and <laughs> put it in a blender. And here is a smoothie and good luck. Um, I like got parking tickets all the time. I got two traffic violations. Like it felt like a different world. Completely. And how different. do you, how do you break into even getting auditions when you move to LA? How does that start? Oh, for you? this is why it's such a long journey. You know, I mean, I think, People have an advantage sometimes when they come younger because people are more willing to give um, chances to, to yeah. younger people. And I mean, I felt like I was young. I was just out of college. But everybody else also moves right out of college. So there's a huge influx of like 20-year-olds. 21-year-olds, yeah. Yeah, yeah, who went to theater school, which I don't know if you know, but theater is different than camera, which took me years and years. Between theater and camera like and which do you like better and, and yeah. what are you kind of striving for now yeah there's a lot of differences and then there's also you kind of I for me I feel like I was awakened to all the differences and I forgot all the similarities I forgot for a while that it's the same work that I need to do inside as an actor like a lot of actors work very different ways and I think I gave my power away to teachers for a long time that were like this is how you do it this is how you do it this is how you do it well, I, I think I did well in school because I did it my way as well as incorporating information. And so when I moved here, I thought, oh, gosh, it's different. I, you know, and, and I forgot to do my character work that I know for me. Like for me, I almost always need to create a backstory for the character because like context, right? I have that skill, that uh, strength of context. Like I want to know where this person is coming from. And that just helps ground me. Um but the things that are different, the turnaround is incredibly different. Um, I get an audition today and I go in tomorrow. Maybe that's true for a theater audition as well, but at least you'd have the whole play to look at and get that context. I'm going to get, you know, two, three pages of dialogue and almost no understanding of where this comes or, you know, maybe I know what show it's coming from. Um, but, you know, it's it's not like, let's tell this whole story. It's like, you do your part here. Um, the turnaround is also the, the, it is very, um, theater is very collaborative. You go into a room to rehearse with people. You end up creating bonds with people and inside jokes and you practice the thing for a number of weeks and you do it together. And, uh, some of the work is still alone, you know, the kind of, what does the character want? Where are they in their life? What's going on? How do I connect to that? But a lot of it happens, uh, extroverted and I'm sounds a, like more of the campy, uh, feeling that you had in college theater. Yes. That collaborative thing. Yeah, exactly. And what I've learned is that film is very, very personal and you do it alone. 
you lonely all yeah. your crap. And I don't know if it's lonely necessarily. I mean, I felt lonely when I was doing it because I was like, oh, I don't want to be by myself when I'm doing this. So I'll just not do it. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, I won't prep as I know I should. Um, but now I'm sort of collecting myself again and being like, no, this is a, this is a personal process that I need to do on my own. And, and what that's translated to more frequent, more recently is even setting up the camera in my room. I have a very, we have a, you know, one bedroom apartment and we have a lot of, a lot of things are done by self tape now, which means you're actually doing your own audition with somebody reading uh, for you with your own camera, you edit it, you upload it. Like there's no Mm -hmm. casting director in the room, which is good in some ways and challenging in other ways. But like we have this little aisle between our bed and our um, dresser and some brown curtains. And I just put the camera there so it doesn't look like you can, you can't see the little self tape space. And, and what it's, what it's come to me uh, for me is to have the courage to, and I think like, um, Glenn Close, I read something from her. She said that, um, she's always kind of embarrassed in front of her characters as she starts a process. And I was like, Ooh, that's interesting. The idea that your character is somebody else that you're sort of getting to know. And I think the other part is like, I'm, I can be embarrassed in front of myself because I want it to be great, but of course it's not going to be great right away. You know, like, um, and, and I've also had to learn for myself that like fussing and whine, like the whole thing is the process. So like I get an audition and it's for tomorrow. Well, fussing and whining that I have to change my schedule is part of my process. Like being scared of it is part of my process. Like just making myself print out the sides. That's part, like I've already begun my journey. Whereas in the past, I'd be like, I, I would have this um, strange sort of uh, resistance to, to doing the audition, which is like what I want to do, right? It's like what I want to, I want to act, but there's like a lot that happens before you get to the actual acting. That's the, yeah, I, I feel like I sort of relate to that in yeah. writing because yeah. there, you know, for example, like I, you know, dreams would be, well, for example, I wrote a piece for a place that I want to write for the other day. And I was so excited when they accepted my pitch for it. But then like the minute it was accepted, I was like, oh, all this pressure and like stress and like now it has to be good and I have to do it right well. And I feel like it's the exact same kind of thing you're talking about. It is. And that's the creative process, right? Like as humans, for whatever reason, we have a resistance to being creative, like to create. Mm-hmm. And and I think, you know, there's this sense of like, I, I think like we co-create with God. And when we create, we are like the you know, we're using the God given talents that we have. And there's some sort of resistance, like, no, I'm small. I'm not good enough. Like we, mm-hmm. and I, and maybe it's even clarifying for me more recently of just, I think that's our ego. And I think yeah. that the ego is literally trying to save our life. Like physically and emotionally. It's like, if you do that and it's bad, you'll die. <laughs> and so I've really tried to, and I, I, another thing I think is like my house is never as clean as when I have like, you know, a big audition coming up. You know, so, right. Right. Of course. But sort of recognizing like for myself, like, Oh yeah, that's just part of my process too. Like before I do a self tape, like I have to do all the dishes, you know? So I giving myself permission to be like, just plain printing them out, just plain reading what I need to practice. Yes. Like that's all part of my journey. And so by the time I set up the, ca- like setting up the stupid camera is like part of my journey. And so by the time it's on, like I have found this thing that's been working for me in the last season is like, I'll, you know, read it out loud with myself and I'll just read the other characters lines and I'll do it on my own. And I, that like sort of lowers the bar of perfectionism. It, like, Do you think, uh, I, I like what you're saying about like, that's part of my process because I think that's something that's kind of just coming to me right now is just kind of accepting that that yeah. is part of the process. And when you do accept it, it's almost like you can be more at peace with it and understand like, this is just the time that it takes. This is just the yes. steps that for me, I have to go through to get to that place, even though maybe it's not that way for someone else. Has that given you kind of peace about the whole thing? Oh my gosh. Or at least a piece of the, of a piece of peace. <laughs> you yeah. know? A little bit of peace. Yeah. And I think, you know, I've, I, I've been just in the sense of reclaiming the fact that I'm an artist, no matter if I'm getting external results or not. Um, and, um, I've done some films and I'm breaking into TV. Like those are the things I want to be doing is the more narrative storytelling, but I've done a lot of commercials 
And I'm grateful for all the, the, the ones that I've done. And I, I can ha- I have a sense of the ones that I've booked. I'm like, yeah, I think I know why I booked that. Like, I felt really good that day. Like, I just felt really calm. And I felt really centered. And I felt really me. But there's also times when I feel really good. But they need a mom who has brown hair because the kid they need is brown hair. And, like, they talk all the time, casting directors, et cetera, are talking about how, you know, it's not the best actor that wins. It's just the actor that works for this role today. And one of the things that's encouraging is um, – they talk about try to book the room instead of trying to book the job. Book the room. What does that mean? So when you audition for something and you kill it, you end up booking like that casting director, like that casting director. So like, for future yes. roles. Yes, exactly. For that sense yeah. of like, I want this casting person to know that I do great work so that anytime something comes up, that's sort of right for my type. And that's something else that's been that's such a good Awakening, point because you know? yeah, these people are always going to be working on other projects. Yeah. So you can always kind of have that hope of even if this one doesn't work out, like yeah. I'm making an impression on them yeah. for the future. And that sense too with you when you're writing, it's like, well, maybe this publication doesn't like this pitch, but trying not to tell ourselves a story that they don't like me and I'm not good enough and I'm never going to make it. It's sort of like, oh, well, they listen to this pitch. They'll probably listen to another in the future and you know, Maybe I'm pitching a Thanksgiving story in July and it's not, you know, right. You know, it's that sense of like, maybe I'm not the right for me. This years ago, I feel like I hit my wall. I'd been here for like 10 or 11 years and it was just, it was just heartbreak. It was like, have you thought about giving it up? Oh my gosh. How many times in a week? Um, now I feel like I've turned a corner a little bit, but I think uh, definitely. I mean, there's been definite times where it isn't just like I'm giving up on my dream, but it's like, can I please do something different? Can I please do something that has those sort of external results? Like if you're a dentist and you want to be a dentist and you go to school to be a dentist, eventually you're probably going to be a dentist. Right. You know? And, uh, and, and, and one that probably makes money, you know? Um, and so I think that's the balance of, uh, I'm definitely an actor and now I'm at a stage where, there's been times when I've been able to be financially stable as an actor for a time. And then there's times when I haven't. And I've always had, you know, side jobs. And I think that's one of the the starving artists or bleh, like there's some part of this like, you know, mm-hmm. oh, okay, artists can't pay the bills. Well, yeah, there's not enough roles for everybody who wants to do this. There just isn't. Yeah, and, it's, and they're all <laughs> temporary as well. Exactly. And even, I mean, I listen to podcasts with people who are working all the time. And even Anna Ferris, you know, who has worked since she's 20 years old and is now on mom. She's like, I never know when my next job is going to come. So there is a sense of, um, I tried to, I was talking to somebody instability. when I was. Instability. Yeah. But my, my friend uh, from college, my roommate from college, who isn't an actor any longer. But she goes, you keep saying, you say instability. unstable and she goes your life is not unstable you have a great husband you have a place to live you have great friends you have a support net you know who you are you have the ability to make income your life is uncertain and I was like that's nice thank you (laughs) you know that there's an uncertainty of things and allowing that to be just the truth like not have a fantasy about things but like all right this is if this is always going to be the way it is am I good with that you know and there's been times that I've looked at like people who had been actors and have chosen to do other things and they're really happy, but that's because that's what they're supposed to do. And I, I, I am in a season right now where I'm like, wow, this is it for me. Um, so you just, yeah. you feel like acting is like, this is your calling. And if you were to try to do something else, like you would just feel always called back and called back to the acting. Well, you know, it's interesting because it's shifting a little bit to just from acting to storytelling and filmmaking in a broader sense. So Um, you've been doing like directing and producing things? I have. And I came into it very like, I want to, I just want to be an actor. Nobody will cast me. So I guess I'll just make my own thing. (laughs) You did. And you did that Shauna Nyquist um, play called, called Tangerines, right? Yeah. So that was one of the first times that, um, I went into it like, well, fine, I'll just make my own stuff. But what I've realized is that that actually might be really where I'm called to go because there's an empowerment there. Having been an actress, I mean, I assume like you are that much better of a director and producer because you know what it's like to be the person that you're directing. Yeah, completely, completely. I've had just a touch on cold tangerines for a second. Um, my husband had given me the the book and he's like, I think you'd really like this book. And within a couple pages, I was like, Oh my gosh, these are like monologues. Like Shauna just writes so amazingly. And, um, 
a friend who's actually, uh, he is now on the CW show Black Lightning. He has Black Lightning, uh, Cress mm-hmm. Williams. He said to me, like, oh, you should reach out to the author, see if you can get the rights. And I was just like, <laughs> right. Like, really? Like, a person could do that. Like, one of the, <laughs> this is probably a little bit offensive to the Midwest, but I call it, like, Midwest brain. Like, yeah. that there's something about the coasts where people are, like, fighters, and they're like, yeah, I'm going to do whatever I want. I can do it. And the Midwest are like, oh, no, it's okay. Whatever you want. I could do that. But I ended up getting really sick. I had mono and I didn't know mm. it and I felt like I was dying and I was like well if I'm dying if I'm gonna die I might, as, I well might ask. as well ask and um, I reached out and you know I said like this is who I am this is what I've done this is what I haven't done like is there any chance that you'd be willing to let me try and and Shauna to her incredible credit is like yeah go for it kind of thinking like this will never happen and uh, but uh, three years later we we put up a whole show and um, a the play version of her stories and the fact that I was writing in it and producing it and acting in it. I knew I didn't want to direct. I knew I needed somebody on the outside just because mm-hmm. otherwise you get too myopic and right. hats. And, um, that process was so amazing because I was, the, the writing was really intriguing to me and the editing really, I, I, I did some of my own writing. Um, but most of it is her words. And <laughs> a couple weeks before we opened, my director said, I sent the writer on vacation and now I would like to invite the actress to, and I was like, Oh, I have to act this. You know, (laughs) I had been acting it, but more like my brain was doing the writing thing. And so then coming into it as an actor and we were little candle productions was a company out here. That's a female live driven company and Mm -hmm. they intelligent and uplifting stories is 11, eight, nine, 10 productions of, um, mostly new works. And, um, uh, we got to tour the show a little bit, and it just really touched people of all ilks. Um, and, and did Shauna see it? She did. She did. You can actually go on YouTube and you can watch our talk back together, which is one of my oh, prized cool. possessions. Because again, right? Like that whole process was theater, so I didn't like have a recording of it. Um, right? Yeah, I want to. I want to look that up. I actually, I met her a couple months ago. Oh so. my gosh, she's yeah. so sweet. As, I like love her. I'm so yes. inspired by her. Um, and of course, she's gone on to write couple more bestsellers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's the kind of voice that we need right now. And I think Mm -hmm. that that's, and she's so honest about the struggle of it, you know, like things look right on the outside. You know, when she was traveling and speaking a lot, it sure looked great on the outside and she was miserable and she kind of came to terms with that. And that's something I'm sort of navigating in my own life. You know, it's like, if it doesn't feel right on the inside, it ain't right. It ain't good. So that was really my, like, taste into producing and we did a Kickstarter campaign and all that. I was terrified the whole time. The story of the, of the show is like, you are enough. And like, uh, who needed <laughs> to hear it more than anybody? You know, like my husband would be like, when I'm crying, he's like, what do I, what does they, what does that book say? I have enough, you know? So self doubt, like we kind of touched on this a little bit. Has that been something that you've just kind of struggled with this whole time being in LA? Is that something that is a kind of a, a constant battle for you? I was very confident in my abilities when I came out here and then the results didn't fall into place in, mm-hmm. you know, it had, it wasn't, it wasn't easy anymore. Um, and I kind of took it personally. It must be <laughs> yeah. you know, like, I didn't think like, Oh, well I don't have any connections here. So how am I going to get a great agent? I don't know. You know, like, uh, it, it became a little bit like, Oh, I must be doing something wrong. And if I was doing it right, it would be easy. And I think I took that and, it sort of made a story about it. Like Brene Brown is one of my favorite researchers mm-hmm. and writers. And, and she talks a lot about like the stories that we make up about our failures. Right. Yeah. And I, I didn't know that that's what I was doing. Cause I hadn't really experienced some of failures in the past. But, um, when I came to like, when I had been here 10 or 11 years, like I said, I hit my brick wall. And, and one of the things that it was so helpful for me was I had a teacher who had tried to sell a pilot and it didn't happen. And, and he just said, I was heartbroken. And I went, oh my gosh, that's where I'm heartbroken. You know, I felt like I was spinning my wheels and I was trying so hard and wasn't getting the results. I wanted or I'd try this class or I'd spend all my money on this or I would do that. And, and like now I look back and I'm like, it's good to say I was heartbroken because then I could mourn it. Mm-hmm. And then I look at the realities of being like, can I, I have to either do this differently or I have to do something different because it's not worth being miserable. And nobody wants to work with an actor who's miserable. Like we have to, ego is the one that's like, okay, artist, make money, 
provide for your family, get a house, baby, have kids, you know, have a good marriage, you know, do all these things. And the artistic part was like, oh, it's too heavy. And you can't flourish artistically when those other outside pressures are, uh, you know, weighing yes, you down. It's yes. like you need to be light and free to be able to let that artist come out. Exactly. And even recognizing and understanding, like, of course it was easier in college. You were competing against four people. You know, of course it was easier, easier in college. Your bills were paid for. <laughs> you didn't have to have a job. Like, you didn't have to become an adult. So really the process for me, like, I actually have talked to a lot of people in their mid-30s who – like they're in different fields, but it's not that different. Like whether it's specifically self-doubt or whether it's just, this is not what I was expecting it to be. Like Richard Rohr is one of my favorite writers and teachers. And he just talks about second half of life. And I really feel like in the last couple of years, I've just kind of had to do the work to flip into the second half of life where there has been a, a loss, like the lot, like I, I wrote a five-year plan, you know, I didn't know how to implement it at all. But yeah. you know, when I moved out here, I was like, and in five years, I will have my own. And that's good to have dreams like that. But the truth is like, um, through learning through, you know, cult tangerines that I could create things. And then e even more like it didn't, that self-doubt didn't end after that. You know, I, I still wished that I could just walk into somebody else's project and be the right actor for their project. But, um, one of my friends was like, honey, you know, like, let's make something together. And we ended up creating, um, a web, a web series, um, that is a sitcom format, kind of like Parks and Rec called mm -hmm. Life Group. And it's about an enthusiastically inept life coach. Yes. And I was, watched it, a couple <laughs> episodes this morning. Oh, yay, thank you. It and was like, really funny. <laughs> it's really funny. And it's really fun. And it's something we created together. And again, we did a Kickstarter and we were able to produce it for a really low budget and create this beautiful thing. And what is that? That's a sitcom that I'm the lead. Yes. That's yeah. Not, you know, and like, okay, great. It took 12 years instead of five. Who cares? Yes. Well, that's the great thing. I I'm totally with, I'm just vibing with you yeah. on this so hard because have you read big magic by Elizabeth Gilbert? Yes. Okay. Yes. Obsessed. Obsessed. Um, and I, I'm just the same. I feel like so much of my writing life is just kind of, uh, on the other side of this, like right where you are, because, um, you know, writing is my passion and, and with, with my book, reading big magic yeah. is what convinced me like, it's not about like the accolades that you're going to get or, yeah. you know, the, whatever the outcome is. It's like, this is for you. And like, as right. a creative person, like, it's in your hands to do this. Like you don't have to wait for permission. Absolutely, We have to give ourselves permission, like, and do the work of like, well, why don't I feel like I have permission? Yes. And, and there's societal factors and there's family origin factors. And there's reasons why we have these stories. Like we, we didn't make it up. We didn't like just sit in our room and not do anything. Like we have had a, a, a opposition, you know, like I've gotten bad feedback. Like I've gotten feedback that is like, you're too much. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, I guess I'm too much then, you know, like, it, but, but to say like, I'm not going to give authority to that anymore. And, and even like, think about being 45, 55, 65, 75, 85. And being like, I did that when I was 35. I was a baby. You know, we have this idea that, you you know, if you haven't succeeded by the time you're 22, it's like, that's crazy time. Yeah. And think about this. Whenever you see like a story, you say you see like, oh, 75 year old graduates from college or right. you, you see those stories and they're always like going viral and you're so inspired yeah. and you're like, it's never too late. And it's like, well, apply that to your own life. Like, don't mm -hmm. I, I I'm very ageist against myself sometimes. Oh, yeah. Well, there's so many pressures. There's so many outs external messages that we get. And I, one of one of my thoughts is like that sense of feeling like I'm not enough is something that's pretty pervasive right. or, or it's a, me it's a message that shame says, right? Like, mm -hmm. who do, you know, like, Oh, you're not enough. And then of course you're like, you know what? I am enough. And then shame's like, who do you think you are? <laughs> you know, but I, what I can say are enough and I don't have to add in Christ. I think like the love of God is so giant and so all consuming. And like in the way that a parent loves their child, like that's God's love for us, no matter what whether we claim Christ or not. Like, right. um, yeah, the faith journey, like, whew, we could talk about that's a whole separate podcast. But what I will say is that being in Los Angeles and being exposed to so many different kinds of people, the, the kind of faith that I was, um, that was really real to me 
that was very loving to me because I knew God was love, mm-hmm. but was very exclusive of a lot of kinds of people mm-hmm. specifically. And, um, and a very basic. Well, I, I, see, I can see what you're saying in terms of um, some of the ways, and I know, I think I know kind of how you were raised, um, you know, kind of that religious background. Yeah. And there are ways that so much of that can be twisted um, and bullying and thing. damaging and abusive, mm-hmm. literally abusive. Yeah. And um, it's just tribal mentality more than yes. a, a God of love, you know? Right. Um, and so. Yeah, I'm, I'm in, I'm still in the process and the journey. And so I don't have a ton of like language around it exactly. But like one thought I had recently was like, you know, well, I love um, all my gay friends. Am I more loving than God? No. So if I love somebody, like clearly God loves somebody. Um, and I think that just the, the dualistic way that the Western world has been raised is not the God way of looking at the world. Like it's right or wrong, black or white, this or that, this or that. It's like, it's murky and it is gray and we're in a circle. And it, I don't think there's a hierarchy anymore. I think God is, is in the middle and we're all circling around in this you know pile of love. And I just think the idea of that creates, I don't know, it creates the ability not to be against people, but to be compassionate to their journeys and their stories. And um. like last year I found an Episcopal church um, that I've been going to, and I've always loved the liturgies. I've always loved the older ways of doing things because I feel like we didn't like figure out in the fifties, like how to be Christians. And I feel like some part of the evangelical movement, there's a sort of underlying thing of like, well, and, and not everybody, but like, you know, oh, well, the Baptists are right, but the, you know, Presbyterians are wrong. And like, there's just a us versus them kind of mentality. Yeah. So I really love going to the root of like, oh, yeah, people have been saying these words and these prayers for hundreds of years, you know, like right. in a cloud of witnesses of people who've been practicing this way. So that's been helpful. And then they're very socially justice focused and they're very inclusive. And I did not grow up in a world where I could look at the Bible and get that from what was said, it was very literal. Um, and it is so much more where my heart has always been. And just the idea that our faith is rooted in action and the idea of working to make this world better is some of the work of what Jesus did when he was on the planet, you know, of, of, um, standing with the people on the margins. Mm -hmm. I think that almost would strengthen your faith. And I mean, it sounds like it has strengthened your faith in a way that you didn't even realize it needed to be strengthened. Yeah. And I think there's just less fear for me, you know, the sense of like, oh no, I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to quote unquote sin. Well, the word sin literally means to miss the mark. It's an archery term. Mm, Interesting. I didn't know that. to, To hit the mark and you miss. It's like, there's no evil intent. And sometimes we make wrong choices out of our ego's desire to <laughs> save our lives. You know, but like sometimes we have intent that's like vicious or wrong. But like in general, most of us are trying our best and we just miss a little bit. It's okay. You probably didn't mean to. And if you did, own it. And why did you mean to? And, you know, and then perfect just means having everything that you possibly, you know, it's adequate. It's not even possible. It's like adequately the amount that yeah. you need. <laughs> so it's just kind of helped me kind of contain myself and my journey and let it be mine. I do want to shift back a little bit to the acting world. Now, one question I had was, you know, in your, you know, heart of hearts, if you were doing, if you could have what you wanted in the world of acting, would it be a sitcom? Would you be a movie star? What would it be if you, you know, could catch that dream, uh, you know, that ultimate dream? You know, I have always said one of the reasons I moved to Los Angeles was to be a sitcom mom. Part of it is like the logistics of the daily, because I think that there's this fantasy that even I was under, like moves, actors, glamour. It's like, yeah, no, they wake up early, they go to work, they come home. And like a, a, a sitcom mom, even as a 22 year old, I was like, no, that makes sense to me because I could make enough money to buy a house, which is a shocking, shocking, shocking amount of money. Um, I could probably have a car that works. Uh, <laughs> I could work during the day and be home and be able to have kids and it's comedy and it's kind of theater because yeah. it usually it's done a little bit like with a live audience, but it's also recorded and um, the sense of working together with the same people over and over and creating that camaraderie. 
so like that was my dream then. And it's interesting because I keep coming back like, oh yeah, still want to do that. <laughs> so that who, was- do you have a favorite, um, couple of sitcom, mo- sitcom moms that you like? Um, you know, I think, um, like Claire from modern family. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think, um, uh, this is so embarrassing. I can remember their names right now. Um, the woman that played Ray Romano's wife. Oh, Deborah. Or no. Thank you. I think. I, I, oh, oh, Patricia Heaton. Patricia Heaton. Patricia Heaton. Yes. Patricia Heaton is genius. Love her. Um, and I loved, you know, she went on to do the middle, which was a, a one camera versus three camera, which is a very different style. Um, but I think she also as a person, she's very herself, you know, like, she has a, she has a, a faith that she practices and <laughs> there was a time when she had had, four, I think three or four children and she got a tummy tuck or something. And she's like, yeah, I got a tummy tuck. What? It yeah. Was I vanity. like her. She is very outspoken. She's one of the few celebrities that will talk about her politics that are not aligned <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> necessarily with a lot of people in Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I really like her. Um, you know, she's a sitcom mom, but in a different way. Alison Channy is a huge inspiration oh, yeah, of mine. She's great. The kind of work she does is just amazing. So, um, so know, that's still yeah, a dream so for you. That would, you know, it is, it is. And, and I think even like allowing that to be a dream, but like taking it two steps back and then also like turning a corner <laughs> of like where I am right now is really my dream and my vision for myself is that I see myself as the professional actress that I am whether I'm booking the jobs or whether I'm not, whether I'm getting auditions for short films or TV shows or series regulars, or whether I'm writing my own things or producing my own things, like to really recognize myself. Like this has been the theme of this is this recognition of just that it's not going to matter if it comes from somebody else, if I don't do it first. And it's also, it's not rewarding. Like, and it comes and goes like people's favor. Oh, comes and goes. But the sense of like love for what I do and love for the people I get to work with, um, I've, I was just going to say it's, it's like you even hear, um, cause I listened, I listened to several podcasts that talk to actors quite a bit. Like I listened to the Dax, Dax Shepard podcast. Oh yeah. I love that one. I was just, I, I mean, he is, I mean, that podcast is blowing up. People love it. Um, he's mm-hmm. such a, he's just, it's so great. Cause he's just so, he's just so real. I mean, he's just who he is. He's so honest. So honest. Oh, yeah. And, and, and you even hear people on that show, I mean, like really famous people that are like, yeah, uh, you know, they never, they, there's always that question of like, what is the next job going to be? You just don't know. Yeah. Because, you know, you mentioned like the journey, um, for writing has been similar and well, to preface this, I just want to tell you, like, I literally remember being in like seventh grade in the library <laughs> with you reading like teen magazine what were the teen uh, magazines even uh, ym teens have always had this sense that you were like i'm gonna write articles for magazines like i'm a i'm gonna be a journalist and like i have this image of that and you and like what's so great is like you are well it doesn't look yeah fairly same you know what i mean like maybe we don't give ourselves like and if you saw me in a play freshman year you've been like lynn's gonna be an actor and i'm like yeah but i'm not that no like you are, you're doing the things a lot different. Yeah. But you know, you're doing it. So I just want to say that I see that on, I, I, I look at what I've seen on social media and how we've, you know, kept up over the years of like your journey has led you many different places in many different ways. But I see the through line still like a, a, a healthy heart pump. Yes. You know, <laughs> thank you. Um, well, the writing journey it started off in, in the in the way that I wanted it to go. Uh, I started out being a a journalist and a writer in Washington D.C. at the beginning of my career, right. and then I kind of like got off the path and ended up working in other job communications jobs. And I just I don't really know what happened to me in the middle there. Like I got involved in in the political world, and I was kind of more in that space. And then yeah. in the past few years, I started realizing. Hey, whatever happened to my writing? That was the thing that I uh-huh. always loved and I let it go and I don't know why. And so I kind of found that again and I'm now back in this place where I have a lot of motivation and a lot of inspiration and there's so much I want to do, but I don't have a lot of time or mental space to do it because sure. I have a full-time job that is not writing and mm-hmm. I obviously have two little kids and I am one of 
those people that really tries to pile too much on my plate. Um, you know, I'm there's, you know, this, the, there's a reason that I'm not able to get this done. Cause I, you know, I'm doing Bible study or I'm, I'm doing mentoring. I'm, you know, got my job, my kids, I'm trying to see my friends. I'm trying to spend time with my husband. I, right. you know, all of those things. So house to deal with. Yeah. I'm kind of tr- right now trying to take it day by day and I remind myself that the writing, I try to remind myself, writing is a gift that God gave me. It's a, it's something that he gave me that I love and that, um, he gave me a sort a skill set in and, and a passion and for, a passion right? for, and that mm-hmm. he has guided me towards this specific field right now of, of focusing on addiction and recovery and just that whole world. Oh, so I've been writing about that a lot. I'm not really sure where it's going, but I feel like it's going somewhere. And when, and when I keep coming back to is, um, is that the, this is just what keeps coming back to me. You know, the, the Bible verse, of course, like thy word is a lamp into my feet. Uh, well, I always remember that that verse is, is not thy word is like a spotlight to, you know, the journey miles down the road. It's literally like, what's the next step. And so I'm just trying to, follow that like day by day and recognize that like, cause I'm trying to do everything on my own and realize that like, if God wants me to write about something and make a difference in some way, like he's going to open that opportunity up for me. And he mm. is like, he, I have had those opportunities, but it's just like me not being able to control everything is really hard sometimes and not being able to just yeah. like hack my way <laughs> to it. So. Yeah, because I think we're taught like, well, if you want it, go get it. And there is an element of that. But at the same time, there's like a gentleness. One of the things I'm uh, practicing, I'm in a meditation group. Mm-hmm. And it's really about allowing and receiving yeah. versus going to get. And it's a meditation group. But actually, it's not even. she's actually a coach. She's like a life coach. But it's like she calls herself the anti-coach because it's not about like goals and figure it out and do it and make yourself miserable and stay <laughs> up late and get angry. And like, you know, it's just that sense of like. If you really want this, then sit in that and mourn the fact that you haven't been able to have it and mourn that it's different than you thought and like allow yourself to process, allow yourself to forgive yourself for any of the judgments you're holding that it isn't the way that you thought it was going to be. I I continually, and this is, you know, a phrase that you hear often, but this reminds me of what you're saying is I keep telling myself, just hear this voice, be kind to yourself, be kind to yourself because I'm very hard on myself um, just in this this phase of life is just, I don't give my, I don't give enough credit to the fact that it is very stressful. Um, just this, this part of life that I'm in, I I don't recognize that having a baby and a toddler and trying to do it all should change momentum. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like it's crazy. (laughs) And I feel like that's part of, that's part of a, um, just a patriarchal like lens that we're sort of under is the idea that, Oh, well uh, two other human beings who are fully dependent shouldn't change your momentum (laughs) in any way. Yeah. Hello. And I know I'm going to look back later and see it much more clearly, but when you're in the middle of it, it's hard to reconcile because you don't change you know, the moment that you have a baby, you're not like, Oh, you're, you still want to write. Yeah. You, know, you still want to, those passions do not go away. Yeah. That's so and, true. And honestly for me and my journey, again, just sort of looking at the realities of these things, like, um, Dan and I've talked about having kids a lot and we've wanted that and it hasn't quite been the right time. And like now we're sort of in a season of like, maybe we're choosing not to, mm-hmm. Because we're choosing into having full focus on this thing that we're doing. Dan's also an actor. Yes. And, like, it's crazy, but I have felt a little bit less pressure just sort of giving myself. Like, the, the like, possibility that maybe that's right not going to happen for you. Or, like, yeah, that you're okay that, with it if it doesn't. Yeah, and, and I, I think, you know, it, it's, again, like, getting in touch with ourselves, like, what do we really want? Like, I have had actress friends who were really clear that they wanted children, and they wanted children more than they wanted to stand alive. I also don't think that you have to leave in order right. to have children, <laughs> right. like, have a life. But they both require a lot of yourself. And I, I don't, I also just deeply believe that families are made many different ways. And if we come to a time where, like, wow, we really want a child, and maybe biologically it isn't in the cards, it's like, well, there's lots of babies that need families and there's lots of kids Mm -hmm. that need families. And so 
but that's been a real part of, of my choosing to keep doing this is to say, well, we don't have a house and we don't have kids right now because doing all of this wouldn't really work, especially in LA. Yeah. You know, I've, there's been, I'm like, I want to live in Indiana where I can have a house, but then I wouldn't be able to do this thing. And I, I am just at a point where there's no shame in choosing something different. Plus there's great opportunities to act in theater in Indiana. And you'll know when it's, if there's something else, like you guys will know. And I mean, I think it's the idea of running away versus running towards. And right now I'm just like, I've kind of licked my wounds and like recalibrated my brain. And I'm doing some really good thought work of like keeping it honest, but positive. And I'm running towards the dream of this thing that has actually, you know, still been my dream. And I just don't ever want to be like, oh, I got to run away. You know, and there's times when you feel like I want to run away, but uh, just a story that really was helpful for me last year. It was my birthday and I was talking to my mom on the phone and she's an interior designer and she was working with a cellist and he had been a professional cellist in Los Angeles. And then he lived in, was a professor, but he said, Oh yeah, no, what does your, your, what are your children? do?" she said, well, my daughter is an actress. And, and he goes, really? And she goes, yeah, she lives in Los Angeles. He's like, really? And uh, you know, um, how's it going for her? She's like, well, you know, ups and downs, but she's, and she, and he says, how, how long has she been there? And she says, Oh, 14 years. And he goes, <laughs> well, she's really, she's really doing it. She's probably going to stay. And, and my mom goes, yeah, she's probably going to stay. <laughs> and then I go, I'm probably going to stay. Well, I wanted to ask you too, uh, you know, I looked through all of your club. You do a lot. You mentioned character acting. It seems like you do a lot of character acting. I actually loved the, oh, one, yeah. the, the I Love Lucy. You seemed like that was <laughs> yeah. so good. That was such a good one. But then I, you know, you also had some of the more serious roles um, in some of them. So you've kind of run the gamut on those. Do you have a favorite? Um, in LA, it isn't about being a great actor or being capable of doing anything. It, so much is really? it, especially when you're starting out, is about your type and and so much. Mm-hmm. And like you think about early Jim Carrey, you know, he, he really was like, okay, I'm this kooky guy and I'm going to do all these kooky things. And he was really established. And then at that point, you know, at a certain point he was like, okay, now I'm going to explore the dramatic side. And yeah. It works sometimes. And and then for instance, Ryan, like Meg Ryan did some drama and nobody liked it because they want her to view it. And, and so there's like a strange kind of tight thing that happens. And, and I think I could have done better if I was like, I'm only comedy. I'm a wacky girl. I'm a, a quirky or this, but the truth is my heart is like in, in the whole gamut. And I want to tell dark, gritty stories and that make me want to pull my brains out and you know, cry. And then I want to tell really goofy stories. And, um, and I've recently had some response from people in the industry that sort of have said the same thing. Because uh, I said, maybe I should just focus on comedy. Like, should I just do? And people are like, mm, no, because your face, like, you look really downtrodden. And you look <laughs> sad and tired. Like, like, the world has been put upon. I'm like, what? And I mean, it has been, so I, <laughs> it makes sense, but, um, just kind of saying like, no, like I have a range and my range, I think will serve me in the long run. And, you know, something like Allison Janney does Juno, she does long way, long way back or long way home or one of those great, you know, kind of goofy things. Um, she did primary colors early on, you know, she was this goofy thing, but at the same time, like then she's doing. Academy oh, yeah. Award work in the Tanya movie, and she's mom, and she's West Wing. And you just never know when it's going to strike. I mean, the person that comes to mind to me is that the girl from This Is Us um, that plays yeah, Kate. Chrissy, um, I forgot Chrissy. her name, but yeah, Chrissy Metz. And I've read her story a bit where she was like, "Yeah, I didn't know how I was going to like pay my bills, and then I got this role, and now all of a sudden she's like super famous." She was my friend's commercial agent early on like 10 or 12 years ago. Oh, wow. So, wow. Yes. And I, I think that that's that sense of like, you never know when it's going to hit. Like, for instance, I went on Instagram the other day and three of my friends were like, I got this thing. I got this thing. I got this thing. And my first inclination was like, uh, I want my thing. But then <laughs> my <laughs> yes. second was like, oh my gosh, they're doing it. You know, it was Modern Family. It was This Is Us. And it was a role with Don Cheadle. Like those are big deals. You know, who are some of your favorite actors and also maybe like a show and or a movie that are kind of, 
I know it's hard to narrow it down, but I, I would just love to hear a few of yours that, you know, because as a person who works in the industry, like what, mm-hmm. what are those for a you? Of, of, of women who um, act and create that are amazing. Um, June Diane Raphael is actually one of the daughters on um, Grace and Frankie. And uh-huh. I haven't seen that, but I've always yeah, wanted to see it. And then her writing partner, Casey Wilson, uh, was on. Yes, Casey yes. Wilson. She she used to be on Saturday yes, Night and Live. She was on Marry Me, and she did um, Happy that show, for that a long sitcom, time. that show. I love I loved that, that show. show. Such Happy great endings. writing. And those two, man, they also wrote Bride Wars. They wrote it, you know, and, and um, oh yeah, I saw that. So uh, I just love the idea that they're creating and acting, you know. Um, and then there's another set of women, um, Jessica St. Clair and Lennon Parham created a show called um, Playing House, and they had a show on NBC before that, and they were in it. And and they both come from improv, so they would write their show sort of through improv. Um, and I just so respect what they do, and I I think the idea of Female voices is so in, such an interesting thing. And I think where I'm actually in a great time to be a woman in Hollywood, you know, that there's so much work being done to say like, yeah, not okay anymore in so many ways. Yeah. And, and also that like female comedy is not for females. It's just that there's a different voice. It's just, it's comedy made by women. And, um, I like seeing badass women who are, are making, making their stuff. Um, one of the gifts of, I think this time is, the unconscious bias is the word, like the idea that there is an unconscious bias. And the thing is, when you become conscious of a bias, that's when we have the opportunity to grow and heal and change. And so, you know, gratefully, I haven't been in many situations where I felt endangered or whatever. But I I do what I do hope is like that, that that stops completely, which, you know, who knows, <laughs> but that the stories that we're now able to tell are just more, there's a wider swath of, of stories that, that, that of people who get funding. I mean, like that's where, what, that's what it comes down to is it's like, we can have, a, yeah, I hear that a lot about well, let's just look at the numbers. And there was a study that came out a couple years ago that was through USC that a friend of mine actually had worked on. And it was just the numbers of like, well, these are the amount of movies that at this level that have been made by women, period. These are the amount of writers that are women. And when you look at the numbers, you go, oh, that's super weird. But there's a reason why there's, it's the aristocracy. You know, it's the reason why these people keep getting this or these people keep getting this. Of course you want to hire your friends. And of course we have friends that are like us. So if the white men are in charge, then they're going to hire white men, you know? But so we have to actually ask, um, actively do things differently. And I think that there's a push for that. You know, one of the things that's challenge, that's a balance and I'm so excited about it is, um, more diversity in casting. Like I want to see more diversity on screen and tell those more stories. There is an effect that there are less roles for white women or white men or white people barely because it was so skewed the other way. You know? So like, I actually have this sense of like, if I'm not getting work, because I'm white, that's cool. It's better for humanity. <laughs> like, like it's sort of sad, you know what I mean? But, but at the same time, it's also not true that there's less roles. It's that there have been way too many. Like, Any podcasts that you could recommend? Uh, something that was really helpful to me as I was doing my fun of spiritual deconstruction, which is a Richard Rohr word of we are in a way of seeing and then we fall apart into deconstruction and then we come into a reconstruction and that being just sort of a pattern of life, death, resurrection, life, resurrection. Right. Um, but the, the liturgists podcast, if you have listened to them, okay. There are two guys who oh. were evangelicals and one of them is Michael Gunger, who was a Christian musician and, uh, they both yes, that sort of familiar really had crisis of faith and sort of fell apart and didn't, know how to make sense of anything anymore and then kind of came to a new way of thinking and just are creating a space for people who haven't found um, the ability to go through that kind of breakdown within like the church mm-hmm. um, or the church of their origin or um, and so uh, they the science art and the looking at life through the lens of science art and faith all right Lynn well thank you so much for spending a little time with me today and just sharing your heart I think you had a lot of great wisdom to share and I, I hope our listeners will um, will take a lot from this 
Thank you. I love you and keep on keeping on, girl. I will too. Well, I know that episode went a little long, you guys, but I hope that you enjoyed it and got a lot out of what Lynn had to say. It was great catching up with her and sort of downloading the past 20 years of our lives together. Like I said in the beginning, if you've been enjoying the podcast, please consider leaving me a rating and review, and we'll see you next week on Worth Your Time. This episode was brought to you in part by The Truce Podcast. The new season examines the connection between some evangelicals and the Republican Party with the help of world-class historians. Subscribe to Truce in your podcast app or listen at trucepodcast.com.